Welcome to the On The Mark podcast, where I'll help you become more well-rounded financially at the intersection of real estate and personal finance. As an avid real estate investor and 20-year mortgage industry veteran with over $2 billion in fundings, I'll help you learn how to build and protect wealth and pass it on to future generations in a way that's easy for all to understand. Okay. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Um, wanted to invite uh, my good friend Dan onto the call. Uh, wanted to quickly introduce you. So, um, so Dan is my go-to life insurance uh, provider. Um, Dan and I have worked together for many years. As many of you know, I'm very transparent with my own financial information, whether it be real estate investing or otherwise. And um, it's really important to me to share uh, what I've learned and and to give my um, my contacts an opportunity to come and help teach our community about things that I think are important, um, whether it be related to real estate or not. Um, life insurance is a really important thing. Um, I think even more so when you own property because you have you have more to lose, so to speak, or to give up or to get taxed on. Um, so I think this is a topic that is relevant to real estate, although I think it's relevant um, in general. So, so Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you don't mind, just give us a, a quick uh, introduction to you and, and tell us what you do. Thanks, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, and it's, it's been great um, working with you over the, the last uh, probably seven, eight years or so, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I'm a certified financial planner. Um, so I run a, a practice um, and we help our clients with a myriad of, of, of financial planning um, topics, whether it be life insurance, um, um, saving for retirement education and everything that comes in between all of that. Um, but um, kind of cut my teeth 16 years ago in the life insurance business and, and, and it has grown into um, into what it is today. Um, so I, I'm excited to, to have the conversation. I, I think it'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, life insurance is not known for being the most um, uh, joyful thing to talk about, but there, <laughs> I, I could say probably the same thing about mortgages. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do my I'll do my best to make it fun at least. Of you course, can, we will. Believe sure. that. Yeah, it's all about who who's talking about it. It makes it that, interesting. That, let's all. Yeah, but I, I think people oftentimes, what I've seen for my clients, they put things like this off uh, because it's something that they don't want to talk about or they don't want to think about um, and or they think they're too young to think about it. And I, and I kind of want to dispel some of those myths. Um, sure. But in your opinion, just generally speaking, why do you think life insurance is so important to have? And, yeah. and let's talk about also not just life insurance, but disability as well, because okay. I think yep. those are obviously not directly related, but, but both important. Yeah, they certainly go hand in hand. And, you know, I think the reason, um, the reason, the reason we see it being important, it, it can be really different depending on what life stage you're in, uh, depending on um, what type of business you're in, what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but it, essentially both of those uh, plans or products, life insurance and disability, they protect against uh, financial loss. Um, so the financial loss could be different for different people, right? So one financial loss that is probably most commonly associated with both life insurance and disability insurance is the loss of, um, income due to an income earner. For example, a family, uh, let's just suppose two working spouses. Um, one of them, 
we'll say falls over um, and is no longer the picture, uh, where is that where is that income going to come from um, to support the lifestyle that the family's become accustomed to or or just needs to, to survive? Um, so to protect against financial loss, certainly. Um, and for others, it's very important uh, to protect against financial loss for a business, for perhaps a key employee. Um, if that key employee were to become injured or, or pass away unexpectedly, um, helping that business stay on their feet and, and frankly not go out of business. Um, kind of in, in, in Mark's world, right? Um, oftentimes we'll see folks uh, look at their first life insurance policy when they take on a mortgage and they have an obligation that all of a sudden somebody's going to be on the hook for. And if there's a primary breadwinner um, is no longer the picture, uh, there needs to be capital uh, to, to be able to, to, to support that family um, or business uh, in, in that scenario. Interesting. So what you're saying, if I, and this is something that I've never thought of before, but are there sometimes um, employers that will take out a policy on their employee if they're a mission critical yes. employee? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. I learned I, I learn as much as the audience does on these. Yeah, things, and that's good. Well, that's what we're here for, right? So that that will occur. Um, they'll, they'll do that on both the disability side or or the death side. Right? Sometimes sometimes a disability is actually a bigger risk to a family, um, or uh, or business because um, think about it, right? A, a a disability, and I'm not one to quote statistics that much, so I don't even know the exact statistics, but a disability is actually during your working lifetime, far more likely to occur than a premature death. Um, and then think about if if I become disabled and I'm unable to do my job and provide for my family or, or produce for my business, um, I'm still a consumer in that family, right? So odds are I'd want to have some type of income continuation plan to make sure that we can still pay the mortgage, pay the bills, save for education, whatever it is that's important um, to us. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that well, that makes a lot of sense because also you're probably now having to incur some sort of medical bills and things like that that you weren't really Quite possibly. before. So yeah. you lost income and also increased expenses. So yeah. you know, other other things that come to mind too, Mark, um, as I'm kind of thinking through it for that that why life insurance in particular might be important to people, uh, it, it provides certain uh, legacy, right? So if, if somebody says, hey, Dan, um, I want to make sure that um, it could be as simple as final costs are covered. When I die, whatever that is, I want to make sure that my family doesn't have to dip into savings in order to, to bury me, right? That's not, right. not too morbid about it, but, or maybe more excitedly uh, or exciting, uh, I want to make sure that I leave a certain amount of money to my heirs or a charity or whatever um that might be important and then for some folks estate taxes and mitigating taxes uh, there's a lot of tax related work that we talk about with uh, within life insurance um in certain scenarios as well yeah well okay so let's do a quick overview if you don't mind of the different types of life insurance because i think People hear a lot of advertisements yeah. and it's usually for the really cheap version of it that yeah. only helps to a degree. So maybe mm -hmm. you can just give a quick overview of the different types. Yeah, um, there are there are lots of iterations out there, um, but I would say it kind of boils down into two fundamental ideas, right? One, uh, one is term insurance, um, which is uh, a temporary coverage. Um, think about that like um, it's almost... 
you know, if you want to use a real estate example, it's almost like renting coverage. Maybe you've heard that before, renting versus owning, right? But um, it's almost like renting your coverage. And, and typically a term insurance policy for somebody who, who is healthy um, is relatively inexpensive. Um, and what that type of policy will do, it'll it'll provide it'll provide a, a fixed death benefit for a fixed period of time. Right. So commonly you'll see policies for 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, multiple uh, durations and iterations of it. But essentially um, the uh, the insured will pay a premium in return for the promise of a death benefit in a fixed period of time. Um, very effective to get a lot of coverage um, for uh, you know cost effective premiums. Um, Beyond term insurance, as um, there are, again a lot of iterations of and and ways to design these things, but I'll, I'll lump them all into permanent insurance. Um, and permanent insurance is just that it it, it will last forever. Um, it's insurance that again you pay a premium. Um, the premiums will be more dollars um, for for a variety of reasons, but they will be more dollars than the term insurance coverage. Uh, but uh, it will last uh, for your entire lifetime. Um, and will be paid as long as those premiums are paid, will be paid as a guaranteed tax-free death benefit uh, when the insured passes away. We all die, right? Um, and, and effectively, this thing will be on the books, you know, forever. Uh, if I live till 120, uh, my permanent life insurance stays on for it, uh, on the books, uh, which is which is pretty cool. Um, term insurance has no living benefits. Term insurance has no living benefits. There's nothing you can do with it while you're alive except for pay a premium and have a death benefit. It's not wrong. It's just kind of what it is. It's just pure insurance, um, similar to that of auto insurance, right? If you you pay your your auto insurance, uh, nothing happens unless you need to file a claim. It means you probably got into an accident, right? Um, permanent insurance, on the other hand, um, has very very powerful accumulation benefits. Uh, during one's lifetime. So we will often use um, an iteration of permanent insurance to help um, coordinate with the rest of a financial plan. Um, there are some, there are powerful tax benefits involved um, and um, and uh, and executed uh, in the right structure with the right company can be a, a very, very powerful part of uh, uh, a financial plan. That's great. And can you explain how the cash value component of, of uh, permanent insurance works? Uh, yeah, so cash value, um, essentially the way uh, an insurance company's premiums work uh, or, or permanent life insurance works is there will be a, um, a premium for a death benefit. Let's just say somebody, I'm making up numbers hypothetically here, but if somebody buys a million dollar policy and premiums are $12,000 a year, um, the, uh, I'll, I'll give the insurance company that $12,000. They'll then deduct the cost of the million dollars of death benefit. And then the, uh, then, then minus those costs will be credited a dividend. And that will be deposited in what's called an accumulated value or cash value of the account. Um, and you might think of that like equity, kind of similar to home equity, right? And those dollars inside that accumulated value Every year, those premiums are funded. They're going to be credited a dividend, and they're growing tax-deferred. So as those grow, they're growing tax-deferred. And when structured properly, they can be accessed 
for any reason at any time, income tax free. Now, generally our clients will look at them as in the, the accumulated value or that liquidity that they have during their lifetime. They'll look at that uh, in two ways. One, as kind of an emergency fund, as a place where they can pull from during their working years if they need capital for maybe an opportunity or an emergency, a loss of a job or, or something, just to kind of keep them afloat. Um, and then generally they'll look at that just like they would with any other emergency fund. They'll put it back into the policy over time. Um, but then uh, where it can be particularly effective is supplemental retirement income, right? So most of our clients will have um, 401ks, perhaps IRAs, Roth IRAs, brokerage accounts, and all these things that are, that are you know, helping them to accumulate for retirement. Um, and we'll use the, the cash value in their life insurance as a supplemental place to pull income in retirement that's not taxed. Um, and we can do this a number of ways, but life insurance, and, and forgive me if I get too, if I lapse into jargon a little bit here, um, uh, Mark, but um, life insurance is one of the only tools out there, if not the only tool that enjoys what's called a FIFO accounting, first in, first out. And I know I'm getting a little bit technical here, but meaning the money you put in comes out first, right? Kind of similar to a Roth IRA, right? Um, comes out first. And then beyond, and that because that was, uh, and that's not taxable money. And then beyond that, you can elect to take policy loans, and policy loans um, are just using that death benefit as a collateral, essentially, um, to borrow. And because it's a loan, it's not treated as it's not treated as taxable income. Right, so and that, very, that can be. In other words, it can be a very effective way to create some flexibility and tax efficiencies in a retirement plan. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of, you know, you kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, because you're right. protecting yourself for for uh, unexpected event, shall we say. But you're also using it as an investment tool at the same time, obviously, with the permanent insurance, not some not not the case with term, but it's a, it can be a really valuable tool. And, you know, I always like to bring things back to real estate. But if you have a real estate opportunity and you want to pull cash for something, it's a good way to be able to do that. Um, you know, even if it's if it's just temporary, you can pay it back over time. Uh, mm -hmm. It can be really flexible, so that that's a really nice thing. And term insurance just doesn't that there's no option to do that. Yeah. We have uh, um we we have clients. And that's a good point, right? We have clients that use their cash value or their accumulated value for for real estate transactions all the time. Um, sure. And um, I see a. Uh, yeah, what, what I think we'll do is we'll get to the questions toward the end. Um, okay, so I want to make sure we get to everything, but we will definitely thank you, Stephanie, for your question. We'll definitely uh, cover that. Um, so, okay. So is there any benefit to starting as a younger adult? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, I don't need life insurance. I'm healthy. I'm young. There's nothing, mm -hmm. you know, nothing's going to happen to me. My family will be fine. Like, is there some benefit to starting early and compounding over time? Yeah, there is. It really depends on a, a bunch of factors, like like anything. But um, you know, somebody who's let's just say somebody who's young, doesn't have dependents, doesn't have outstanding debt, they don't need life insurance right now, right? They're like they're a financial loss or their loss of income really only affects themselves. So they don't, they don't need it. Um, they might want it. Um, they might want it for a number of reasons. One, they might want it for future insurability, right? So sometimes people will say, hey, listen, I uh, I aspire to buy a house in the next two years. You know, I'm saving up. 
Um, then we're going to start a family, right? My income's growing, what have you. And they're just thinking, hey, I want to kind of get my ducks in a row and I want to just anticipate these things. Um, and sometimes life insurance there might might work well because you know they have the opportunity then to buy it when they're as young and healthy as they will ever be, right? right. Hopefully health stays the same, but um, age certainly doesn't. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about this in some point today, but um, life insurance is priced based on age. So the older you get, the closer you are to expiring, right? Um, the more it costs. So if we can buy it when we're young, it's going to be cost effective. Um, and then some young folks have the desire to uh, get money to work inside of these permanent life insurance chassis uh, while they're young and take advantage of compounding interest over um, over long periods of time. Right. And it can be, can it also be harder to obtain the insurance in general? Like as you get older, I mean, if you have health issues or, you sure. know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Health, health issues, um, health issues certainly can play a role. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, the way that life insurance is priced and the way that insurance companies view this, they look at it like if I'm buying a million dollars of life insurance, they're, they're putting a million dollars of risk on their books, right? There's a liability on their books, on their balance sheet now that they will ultimately um, may need to or will need to pay depending on the structure of life insurance, right? Um, and they have one shot to do diligence on that. Uh, so they're, they they need to assess the risk of me, Dan Grippenberg, and say, is he healthy, right? Compared to our history of claims experiences, what we know about, you know, when people are, you know, likely to die, right? I know it sounds kind of silly, but, um, right? So they're looking at things like, um, you know, just my general health profile, whether or not I use tobacco or nicotine products. And, um, you know, they'll ask me, ask some questions about lifestyle, things like that, to make sure I'm a good risk. Mm -hmm. Um and then sometimes, by the way, sometimes when people are buying, I've seen this, sometimes we're, uh, when people are buying life insurance, if if the life insurance company comes back and says, well, you know, we don't like this that much, we're going to potentially charge a little bit more, we're going to offer a little bit, uh, the premiums are going to cost a little bit more. People will say sometimes, well, why? My doctor says that's not a problem. But you got to think about it like this. Like I said, the insurance company has one shot for the, your entire life to issue that. Your doctor gets to reevaluate every six months or a year. So they can kind of follow along and life insurance is making a bet or an informed decision based on one moment in time that they need to contractually honor. If to, even if it's term insurance, right? It's the 30 year policy, right? That's a long period of time that things can potentially change. So they have one shot to get it right. Yeah. Well, loan underwriting is exactly the same. It's, yeah. you know, oh, you, yeah. you that's, the that's underwriting at the very beginning and the lender is bound to provide that loan for technically 30 years in most cases, the same. Yeah, there's same a lot of parallels in our businesses. Yeah, there definitely are. There definitely are. And and there's a need for what you do once people go through the process with me and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, totally, totally. yeah, so. Um, okay, so can you just talk just briefly, like, what does that health screening look like? Like, what's the process? Do you have to go yeah. see a special doctor? Do you have to, mm -hmm. like, what kind of things are they looking at? Yep, so it, um, it can vary to some extent company to company right um but for the most part it will involve um a couple of things right so most companies will have some type of medical history questionnaire right which will be about 30 35 questions or so um, about your medical history um and you know you'll you'll 
you'll fill that out or they'll be asked to you or uh, maybe some, sometimes it's done online. Um, the second component is a um, insurance company approved paramedical service, right? So it's a third party. Um, most people will have the, that person come to their home or office. Uh, sometimes people have like a standalone site, like a, you know, like an exam one type of site, like a, a request diagnostic site. Um, and they'll do, typically they'll do blood, uh, blood draw, uh, urine, blood pressure. Um, in some cases for large policies, they'll do an EKG or even a treadmill. Um, that's not, the, the treadmill is rare, but, um, and they're just trying to assess uh, health. They will also uh, send a HIPAA form, assigned HIPAA form to uh, your physician right? Your doctor, if you have a doctor, if you don't have a doctor, there's no one to send it. So they have to use what they have. Um, and then oftentimes a company will also supplement that information with, um, you know, a 10 minute interview uh, where they'll call you and kind of ask you some questions, but um, right. yeah, that's, that's, that's generally the process. Yeah. It's um, similar to like getting your annual physical, same kind of concept. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, the, the um, you, know, you get your blood tests and you'd get the blood test results, right? Sometimes people will forward those to their doctors just to have it as, on, on their record as well. But um, there are some types of policies with certain companies that will offer uh, small amounts like final expense insurance that are, that are be considered kind of like a guaranteed issue um, based on, or, or maybe a, a lesser underwriting just based on some, just five or six medical questions, but they're usually for smaller policies, five or $10,000, um, something like that, but can be useful to note at least. Right, for sure. Okay. And so when you're working with a client, um, how do you determine how much coverage is needed and whether it's recommended to be term insurance or, or permanent? Yeah. Um, well, I think the life insurance discussion, first and foremost, for most people, the most important component is figuring out how much coverage they need and how much they should have. Um, there's a couple of different formulas that we'll use. Um, one could be just kind of itemizing um, outstanding debt and things that they'd want to accomplish for their family, right? So um, i.e. Uh, I have a million dollars of mortgage or $500,000 of mortgage. I want to make sure that my survivors have the ability to continue paying that mortgage if they so choose, right? Maybe they sell the house, maybe they don't, but have the ability to continue funding it. Um, oftentimes um, families will say something like, I, you know, I wanna make sure that my kids can go to school in the same fashion, college or private school or whatever it is, in the same fashion they otherwise would. And then some other um, replacement of income for the survivor. Um, right. You know, in other words, like the way that I view it for my family, so I, Mark knows this of course, but, um, my I have a wife and I have two kids, they're five and two. Um, and I want to make sure that if I, if I died, I just want to make sure that the three of them have the same financial lifestyle as if I was alive. Right. So it's like, you know, you think of it like, oh, wow, it feels like a big number, right? Somebody has a million or two million or five million or whatever of life insurance, but really it's just designed to replicate a lifestyle that they would have otherwise had. So that means the ability to save for education, it means the ability to pay for housing, it means the ability to uh, save for retirement, um, the ability to take a couple of vacations a year, all those types of things. Um, and that's what really resonated with, with my family and, and, and tends to for most of our clients. So it becomes kind of a present value um, dollar calculation. Right. Yeah. And I can see how that intertwines closely with financial planning and yeah. everything else, because it's it, the two are very much related. 
So yeah, and exactly. And when we run a financial plan, right, when we're running, let's just say, a retirement analysis or an education funding analysis, um, one of the things that we're looking at, we're, we're, we're operating, um, you know, a, a Monte Carlo analysis, the probability analysis. Um, and we want to make sure that in all scenarios, the plan fulfills, right? So one of the scenarios, it, you know, for a retirement plan or education plan is if a breadwinner, you know, or one of the spouses passes away, prematurely, well, guess what? The plan can't fulfill if that income isn't coming in anymore. So we want to make sure that that, that we're hitting everything from all angles. Um, and then that, that also brings up another point that I think about. Sometimes folks will say, well, my, my spouse, you know, he doesn't work. Uh, he stays home with the kids, so no financial loss. Um, maybe he shouldn't have life insurance, right? Um, and my thought on that uh, is, well, if that non-working spouse were to pass away, like number one, like, and again, I'm going to use myself as an example. I don't know if my if my wife passed away. She does work, by the way. But if 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 she passed away, I don't know if I would be if I would have like the mental wherewithal to like really just keep going um, right away. So having some buffer to whatever, take some time off, or just have just ease into it. Um, and two, like assuming that I do back, get back into it full bore, right, then I got to find somebody to take care of the kids. Um, and that's uh, full-time full -time help is not inexpensive. Um, so it just represents that flexibility. Yeah, that makes sense. And then how do you determine which type of policy is right for a client or do you sometimes mix and match? And I know yeah. the answer because I have both. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, the answer is some combination and it really comes down to the rest of the plan and and uh, the capacity uh, for saving, right? So, um, an example would be um, an example would be maybe somebody who is here's two fundamental who's here's two client like theoretical clients, right? Like um, one is young couple has their first kid, um, just bought a house um, or is saving for a house, right? So they just kind of burn through their 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 cash reserves and. They're trying to figure out uh, what a cash flow is looking like, but they know they need to protect the family. So that's probably going to be somebody that is going to buy term insurance for now, right? That's perfect, right? Because the term insurance uh, is going to provide all the death benefit they need very cost effectively. It's going to it's going to give them that peace of mind, hopefully that you know, God forbid, if something were to happen to either one of them, the family's fine, and um, and, and then they can grow into. Uh, permanent insurance via conversions, which we can talk about as well, um, down the line. Um, flipping that to somebody who says, maybe um, I've kind of taken care of that stuff. I'm comfortable in my house. I'm saving a bunch of money. Um, and I'm putting some money into my 401k. Um, I'm saving for different goals, retirement, education. Um, I still have an insurance need because maybe this person is 40, right? And they're kind of hitting their stride and their real, you know, their biggest earning years. Um, and they want to be thoughtful with the amount with what they're putting away. That person will likely have some combination of term insurance and permanent insurance in order to, again, have the correct amount of death benefit, uh, but be thoughtful in the way that they're saving money for the long term from a tax perspective and uh, an accumulation perspective. Right. And with term insurance, once it ends, that's it. And you're kind of basically 
going to have to go back through some sort of underwriting process all over again at a much older age that might be Correct. more expensive or difficult to get the coverage, right? Yep, yep. So the way that that works, um, let's just let's just say you have a, a you know kind of a standard twenty-year life insurance or term insurance policy. Um, after twenty years, you're exactly right, Mark. You would have to if you wanted to extend it, if you wanted to do more coverage. Um, in most cases, you would need to apply for a new policy. Um, and even if your health is perfect, you're still 20 years older. So it's going to be more expensive just by the yeah. um, uh, I don't I don't feel as good as I did 20 years ago. Yeah. That's <laughs> all the underwriters that. I won't, but they don't care anymore. That's the beauty, right? You're locked right. in. What you have, they can't change that. And that's a good point, right? Like it doesn't matter what happens to your health once you're 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 in there, you're contractually they're contractually obligated to pay the claim. Um, if something, you know, even if your health deteriorates, you know, don't let your health deteriorate. But of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then and then, you know, so so sometimes what you could do a solution with the term insurance, you could ladder them, meaning, you know, buy uh, a policy, you know, just uh, you know. 10 years and then after 10 years by another 10 year to make a longer policy or something like that. It's still gonna be more expensive, right? And you know, the reason the reason term insurance is cost effective or, or is low cost is because it's a statistical improbability that it will pay. Right. right. I, I think it's something like three percent or maybe even less of term insurance industry-wide actually pays it ends in the claim because people outlive it. That's good. That's great. Yeah. Um but you know, it covers it, it's like you know, it's disaster insurance in a sense. Um, but the permanent insurance it's paying irrespective of when you pass. Right. Yeah, and it's similar to car insurance in that way. Yeah. Degree, yeah. Like, exactly. But car insurance is mandated, life insurance is not, which is correct. Like, no correct. interest in talking about car insurance. And which is which is kind of which is almost silly, right? Like, so think about it, right? Like in what world would somebody insure a car, right? That's worth I don't know. Let's just say the car is worth fifty thousand dollars. It's fifty thousand dollar asset, depreciating asset. And if somebody's income, let's just say somebody makes a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars of income, easy math, right? And they're going to work for another twenty years, right? That's two million dollars of future income that you're protecting, assuming that you don't make any more income or it doesn't index with inflation or anything like that. So, like, you know, of course, like you said, you have to legally. Um, right. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, maybe maybe someday they'll mandate life insurance as well. Maybe I know I, a lot of a lot of employers provide it and and whatnot. But usually, why don't, actually, why don't we? Uh, that was going to be one of my later questions, but let's let's pivot to that really quickly. So sure. a lot of times companies will have a perk as a you know part of their benefits package to have a uh, a life insurance policy. It's almost as far as I've ever seen always term. It's yep. usually limited as far as the death benefit, um, but it, it's very inexpensive to the employee if they pay for it at all. Yeah. Uh, but it, I think one of the challenges, and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, is just that it's very limited and sometimes you're forced to use a certain provider for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there are, again, um, sounding like a broken record here, but there are a lot of different iterations of employer uh, provided plans out there. But very commonly, um, employers will provide as a perk of being an employee there, they will provide um, some base level of life insurance, right? And that is usually term insurance. There are um, ways that they will sometimes structure um, plans that are permanent for key employees. Again, that's, that's a more complicated discussion, but um, 
in, in any sense, a lot of times it's one, maybe two times your salary, right? Helpful, absolutely, right? Um, there are often uh, options to buy up additional coverage, which I think you're, you're discussing as well, right? So the first portion, you know, one or two times salaries, oftentimes it is um, employer paid, right? So they are paying the premiums to a company. Um, great, fine, perk of being an employee. Um, and then the other option is to say, okay, I can get another four or five times my salary if I pay some number a month. Um, and that can be effective, right? You don't have choice as to company that's underwriting it, um, which may or may not be an issue, but um, that's one component. And then as far as pricing goes, um, it usually, um, if you dig in, right? So those pricing are typically, um, they're abandoned, meaning um, somebody, again, I'm making this up for sake of example, but somebody 25 to 30 is going to pay one rate. And then once they go 30 to 35, they're going to pay a different rate per thousand dollars of coverage is usually the way it's denote, uh, denoted. 35 to 40, it's going to be another rate, 45, 40, and so on, right? So it's going to be where it starts very, very low. It's going to get, it's going to increase over time. So usually if somebody's young and healthy, um, it's actually from an outlay perspective over the course of their working life, significantly less expensive to go with private insurance because they're not paying those increases. Um, and they're basing that that coverage on their health and their young health um, versus kind of a like a global firm health. Um, and, you know, that's not every single plan, but, uh, you know, oftentimes when you dig in, you'll see that. Um, and then the other thing with, with um, you know, work provided coverage is it's typically not portable. Meaning uh, if you, change jobs and they don't offer the same benefits package, your old stuff doesn't come with you um, in most cases. Um, or if you you know hang up your hat on the W-2 and decide to uh, start a business, well, guess what? You got to sponsor your own plan then or you got to do it you know privately. So there's there's um, you know there's there's some issues there. It's not um, it's not wrong at, at all. I, I think it, it can be helpful, but I think it should just be looked at thoughtfully. Yeah, for me personally, I just use it as a supplement because it's yeah. it's either company paid or it's a very nominal cost. And right. usually that nominal cost comes out pre-tax, which makes it even less expensive. Yeah. But I I personally don't rely on that as my as you know, because I, I, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, don't rely I, I on think that's it. right. And, and the other thing is too, there's there's usually only so much that can be offered, right? Like some multiple of salary. And if we're thinking about this, like again, using myself as an example, if five and a two-year-old, like I'm going to need coverage for, you know, I'm going to need coverage for, I need income to last for them for the very least until they're out of college. Right. And if I only have three, four, five times of my salary, well, guess what? That only lasts me three, four, five, five years. So, you know, even at kind of maxing out a, a group employer plan where that can be an effective way to have some of your plan, you know, in most cases, most clients will tell us that it doesn't feel like it's enough. Right. What, what you just said, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about whether you need insurance as a younger, healthy adult, I, I would almost argue that you need it more because you have more years of income to replace. If you're yeah. retired and your kids are grown, for example, you're not going to incur theoretically expenses related to raising a family and other things, which... Um, you know, tend to be your most expensive years. I can speak firsthand to that. Oh, totally. By far. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the young the young family 
absolutely needs it the most. Yes. Um, and when you add a home home purchase on top of that, now yeah. you've got this additional expense that you can't just wash away when someone mm -hmm. passes. You know, a lender's not going to just release the lien on the property because the Correct. primary person uh, is no longer living. Yeah, and what some folks may say, well, they say they may say, well, all right, then they'll just sell the house and just settle up that way. Well, yeah, technically you could, but like, would I? And I would ask, would I want my my spouse and kids to have to do that? Right. And to me, the answer is no. Right. Like, I don't want them to have to sell the house because you know, we didn't plan. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's not just selling the house. It's maybe having oh, to yeah, move totally. the kids into a different school district because you can't afford to live there in that neighborhood anymore. There's all sorts of implications and there's costs of selling and there's costs of moving and there's oh, other totally. things that you've got to be mindful of, not just as far as real estate, but just lifestyle and, you know, yeah. comfort of your home. I think every everyone on this call and beyond would prefer to have their family be very comfortable in those circumstances where they're already dealing with a major loss and not to have to worry about the, the financial implications to the same degree yeah. as if you didn't have this type of policy. So yeah, or and if I'll you're tell underfunding your policies. Correct. And I'll tell you too, Mark, I, I don't find, you know, I, I talk to people about this stuff literally every day, right? And I don't find that most people are disagreeing with the concept. Most people say, yeah, I, you're right. I get it. And then it just becomes, you know, the figuring out that that combination and how to structure it and what duration, how much should be going into permanent, how much they're saving, how does it coordinate with the rest of their plan? Um, but yeah, you're you're spot on. Yeah. And how often do you recommend people kind of reevaluate where they're at if they have sufficient coverage? Is that like an annual thing? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, when when we're working with people on their planning. Um, you know, we're at least internally reviewing that every year as we kind of review their plan. Um, I think things that trigger um, needs to right size, whether either up or down, um, are um, events like changing of employment, right? Um, so we already talked about maybe the employer plan it has is something different, right? Or they're self-employed now or, or something. Um, uh, if somebody uh, make, is now making drastically more income and has a different lifestyle, right? So that might be a reason to right size because they have more income they need to protect. If somebody downsizes and is, is making less income, maybe they have less income that needs to be protected, right? There's no, they don't necessarily need to be overinsured, right? Um, so I would think about that. Retirement, right? So, you know, um, get to retirement and employer plans are gone and maybe the term insurance is about to expire and it's just evaluating well what is insurance there to do for us now and um it could be again a myriad of things but um i've also yet to, to meet the the person who's you know 60 or 65 years old who's had a bunch of life insurance all their all life and all of a sudden they're excited about the their life insurance lapsing and falling off right, right? So I'm told I'm only 38. So um, yes. what I'm told is that when somebody is approaching 60, 65, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, they're, 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 the prospect of their own mortality is less philosophical than it once was. So again, right. the idea of just, I retired, I have no life insurance anymore, often doesn't sit well with folks. 
Um, so planning ahead of time may be important. Yeah, and and I would say one other thing to add to that list of uh, times you need to look at it is if you buy a, a larger home. Totally, because now your monthly expenses have gone up, you know, accordingly, and you need to make sure that your family yep. is going to be able to afford that. Yep, yep. And, and to that same vein, let's just say um, if somebody right. So now, if you have a big mortgage that you need to support, yep, absolutely. Um, and or maybe somebody buys a business. Um, and takes out a loan for 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 that um, may also be a you know a reason to uh, to right size. Yeah. Okay. And um, just to wrap up, I wanted to also talk about the different types of providers of these yeah. policies, and like how do you choose one from the other? Like how does the what does the landscape look like? Yeah. Um, there's there are a lot out there. Um, the Criteria that I will typically use for my clients um, is um, is based on credit quality, right? I think that's important. Um, you know, there, there are insurance companies out there that have you know triple A rated credit across the board, um, and the way that I view that for myself and for my clients in most scenarios is, well, if that's available. Um, and we're thinking about taking on a, you know, partnering with a company for, you know, what is hopefully the remainder of my long lifetime. So could be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years more, right? I wanna do a little diligence on the company ahead of time and make sure that that company has the highest probability of still being around there when I actually expire, right? Um, so that's one. Um, the way that companies organize themselves can sometimes have an effect on their credit quality and sometimes the performance of the products, right? So uh, fundamentally, there are stock companies um, that are listed on, on a, a, an exchange um, or mutual companies, which are privately held, um, which are owned essentially by their policyholders. Um, mutual companies um, are generally have higher dividend paying abilities with their permanent life insurance products. Uh, because they have no middleman of of um, of shareholders, right? So their shareholders are essentially the owners of the company. So um, they can they can produce um, in in a lot of cases uh, better performance over a long period of time. Um, so that's helpful. Um, yeah, and you, you know, hear also about um, insurance companies that just deny every claim. Every claim is a well, problem. yeah, so, yeah, and, and that's that's more. You know, that's more common. You see that more commonly with disability insurance than life insurance. I mean, life insurance, life, like it's pretty binary, right? You're either alive right. or it's kind of hard to fight that. Um, yeah. Some will try to dig back and, and do that. I, I found that most companies, most mainstream companies that you would think of for life insurance are usually going to be, they're going to pay death claims most of the time um, if they're supposed to, right? Uh, disability insurance, and we, we haven't talked that much about that, but that's a little more gray. Right, that's a can you work? Can you not work? Right. So some companies will do a little bit more, sometimes frustrating due diligence in the beginning, uh, with the idea that let's get it right now, so that in the event, um, in the event that uh, a claim needs to be filed or paid, they're like they've already kind of done their diligence. They don't have to ask as many questions. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and then the one other thing that I'll say for choosing a provider um, really depends on what you want in a company, right? So some companies are just, they do life insurance or they do insurance. Um, some companies um, will do a myriad of different financial planning uh, stuff for a client. So it really just depends on whether that's valuable as well. Um, sure. Some just like to have everything under one kind of umbrella and uh, there's some value in that uh, for, for some clients. Yeah, and I see a great question that just popped up. Thank you, Stephanie. Where can people go to find out what the ratings look like? Yeah, um, so that is, um, that's all public information. Um, you can go to any of the major rating agencies like S&P, uh, Moody's, uh, Fitch, A&M. Uh, they publish all that information. Most insurance companies will also publish that information as kind of a badge of honor um, if they don't. Um, that might tell you something. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that we generally will compile for people, we'll just kind of look at, um, you know, what ratings are and, you know, anything kind of a, in the, the higher end of a, it, it, I think is usually pretty good, particularly for term insurance. Um, but, um, yeah, it's all public information that can be found relatively easily. Okay, great. And so one last question for me, and then we'll turn to the Q&A. Um, what do you think one of the, what's one of the biggest or two, whatever, biggest mistakes you see people making with life and disability insurance? Yeah. Um, here, here's what I hear a lot. And this it almost sounds silly, but um, I hear a lot when folks get um, a little bit older, they say, Dan, I wish I did this sooner. I wish I did it sooner. I'd have more cash value. I'd have lower cost of insurance. Um, you know, it, it, what what I find is that people tend to, um, from at least from a financial planning perspective, they like their life insurance more. The more they understand it, which usually occurs over a number of years, and the longer they've had it. Right. So they have now accrued value that are growing and, you know, maybe that's principle protected and can't go backwards kind of thing. Um, so that's why I hear that all the time. It's like, Dan, I wish I did more sooner. Um, so that that's that's probably. Yeah. It. Well, and if you're talking about permanent life, you're talking about compounding of that cash value yeah. over time. And the long, so the longer you're in it, the more money you have available to use for whatever you need or to yep. pay the premiums or whatever it may be. Yep. So that can be, that can be really helpful as well. And I would say just people who just don't get it at all um, is can yeah. be a big, big mistake that could cost you dearly. Even if you're, you know, you're thinking about the, your long-term future, maybe you're not, maybe you don't have kids yet, or you don't, you know, you're not approaching retirement or, you know, uh, and and stages of life, but um, just not getting any type of policy. Yeah, and and that's a, that's a great point, right? So like not getting the policy, um, that's a huge mistake in my opinion. But I'm not on the I'm not on the I'm not on the end of seeing the people that didn't, right? Because we end up parting ways and they just didn't. So it's not right. something like you know they don't come back and say, hey, like I should have gotten this. Like, but um, yeah, I would say that that is definitely a uh, definitely a mistake. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so turning to uh, a couple open questions in our Q&A. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, the first question is, how is the yield offered in the cash value account determined? And does it change, i.e. increase in a rising interest rate environment like the one that we're in now? 
Yeah. Um, so most companies, the way that they determine the yield, think about it like this, right? So life insurance companies are generally like gigantic fixed income companies. Um, they have to be, they have to be safe. Uh, so their general accounts will, will, will somewhere, it will usually hover somewhere between 80 and 85% fixed income, right? Bonds um, and, you know, 15 or 20% uh, public equities, private equity and real estate, right? Um, that said, uh, yes, the, the dividends uh, interest rates uh, or the yield of those accounts uh, will typically follow the interest rate environment um, probably lagged by a year or so, right? So if interest rates, so what we're seeing right now um, is that most companies, right, the interest in the, as the interest rate environment has been ticking up here, well, these companies, like, remember, like life insurance company, it's uh, it's an aircraft carrier. It's not, a, it's not a Ferrari. It can't change on a dime. So what they'll say is they'll say, okay, well, interest rates are ticking up. The Fed is kind of pulling interest rates up a little bit higher to, to manage inflation. So what is that going to look like? Um, and once they feel comfortable that it's going to be stable at a little bit of a higher rate and they can find, they can go to the market and buy bonds um, at those rates, they'll then turn around and credit that interest rate at a higher rate. So the answer is yes. So like, you know, if you look at the, the dividend history of, of, of this, the strongest mutual companies, you'll generally see if you kind of mirror it to or impose it on the interest rate environment, it will, it will, it will follow. Right, you know, with a year or two lag, usually, um, as things kind of stabilize. Okay, and if there's uh, another question, if there's two companies someone's considering that have the same credit rating, how can you compare the two? And I, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna answer this for you, but I'm gonna assume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that this is very similar to the mortgage business because it's not just about having a policy and comparing the companies but it's about the person who's advising you and making sure that you're making the right decision. So I, the example I use with mortgages is you can get a great rate on a 30-year fix from a lot of different companies, mm -hmm. right? You can compare all them and see which one is gonna you know, give you the cheapest rate. But what if it's the wrong product for you? Or what if you're not, you're not thinking about the down payment fitting within your budget and things like that? So I think the, from my perspective, what comes up for me when I hear that question is, the provider, the person you're working with who's advising you, that makes a huge difference. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I just want yeah, to- Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm wildly biased, of course, um, because, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, in the, the industry, but yeah, I think that's right, right? And, um, you know, if, 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 if two companies, uh, if two companies are offering a very similar rate, um, there, there are a number of things that you can look at, um, to help compare, um, and and oftentimes that help of the advisor that you're working with is going to be able to show you how to compare those things, right? So, like one example may be the structure of the policy, right? Like why are they the same rate, or, or could they, or should they be the same rate? Can we structure it differently? That you know, sometimes sometimes a higher rate is not necessarily bad, believe it or not. It actually might be good because the way that it's structured allows you to. Uh, shorten the duration of payments or have more liquidity early, for example. Um, and uh, so really just comparing the structure, it's not always about just cost. Um, sometimes uh, costs, sometimes um, one company will quote an insurance product with, um, we didn't talk about this at all, but like 
uh, defaulting with a certain rider on there is default, right? Like a disability waiver premium, for example. Um, sometimes one co another company will quote a lower rate because they just don't default with that that fit, right? So just knowing what to look for, I think, can be helpful. And I think just there's just so much out there, right? So it's, it's sometimes hard to know. Um, and then, uh, and this is particularly relevant, I think, for permanent insurance, um, is underneath the the ratings, um, you know, two companies might have the highest ratings, but you can then dive deeper and look at the underlying um, expense structure and cost structure of those individual companies. And, you know, like if one company has higher internal costs of running their business versus another, um, even if they can invest in the same place, the one is just not going to outperform the other because they're just running at a higher margin. Um, so there, there's, you know, it, it, it takes some digging to do that. And it's, you know, that, that's something that, you know, I always help with my clients to do is just, Hey, how, you know, we can go to any company out there, right? Like how do we compare them? Um, and if we need to dig in, we can do that. Um, and then we can place it in the right place. Yeah. And circling back to having the right provider who knows those things to even ask, because I'm thinking as, as a consumer myself, I would yeah. have no way to even think to look at the financials of the insurance company that I'd be working with. You know, that's what you rely on an expert for. Same thing with mortgages. People can go directly to a bank and get a mortgage, but they're probably not going to get the same expertise and knowing how to make sure that it fits within their overall financial plan. Um, so one last question, uh, what is universal life insurance and, you know, some very quick uh, advantages with disadvantages? Yeah. Um, universal uh, life insurance is a form of permanent life insurance. Um, and essentially it's a very flexible premium. Um, so there can be, you know, there are again, multiple iterations of it, but um, premiums can be, uh, they can be up or down in, in a given year, kind of uh, what, depending on what you want to put into the policy. Um, they do have a, uh, a um, an, an expense structure um, that is different than a whole life policy. For example, the expense structure of a UL, universal life, um, is, is, is increasing over time, meaning like as, um, as the insurance gets older, the cost of that insurance component gets higher. Uh, the idea is that a properly funded universal life policy um, will work very, very nicely uh, as the, the accumulated value will grow at a greater rate than the, the, than the insurance costs. Um, and that is, if it's, again, if it's properly funded, it can be great. Um, sometimes we'll see uh, because of that flexibility, um, they end up not being properly funded. Um, and that can cause some problems down the line when you might need this thing most, but they're, they're a great product, great, great flexibility. Um, yeah. Um, and when you say underfunded, you mean basically people choose not to, they choose to put their money into something else. Yeah. Whether it be able yeah. to purchase or school for their kids or like, Whatever oh, it is. Well, yeah. I don't need this exactly. coverage right now. And so I'll take some of that money and put it somewhere else. Yep. Yep. And, and, and the universal life, um, chassis, which we, 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 we use it a lot actually in the, um, for something that's it's called a, a variable universal life. So rather than you know um, using the, the insurance company's general yield account, we'll choose a sub account, let's just say the S&P 500 and that a cash accumulation grows in there, um, which there's more risk, right? There's market risk, um, but 
uh, there's the potential for higher long-term appreciation and, and returns as well. Um, same back numbers. Yeah. Well, Dan, this was a, a wealth of information. I know this is a, a topic that normally isn't, uh, you know, one of the most exciting things to talk about, but you've, you've made it exciting and it's, it's nice. something that people really need to know. And that's why I wanted to highlight you on the call today because, you know, I think a lot of people my age just aren't thinking about these things and they don't, are not getting proper financial advice in general. So that's really the whole purpose of the, of the financial wellness forum that we started is to make people aware of the things that they need to be doing to make sure that their families are protected, that they're saving for retirement, all these different things are so, so mission critical. So thank you for sharing your insight today. And then um, I'll put up your information in case people want to reach you afterwards. But um, Dan, I really, really appreciate you coming on today and spending time with our, with our network. Of course. Thanks for having me, Mark. I uh, love what you're doing here. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, stay tuned for more. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the On The Mark podcast. Wherever you're listening, please leave a review. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with others. You can also follow us on our social accounts and find us at markmyman.com to connect directly. Be sure to take a look at the show notes for all the important links, and I'll see you next time.